This is a recording of You More Than Owe Me This Benefit, Onomastic Rhetoric in Philemon, by Matthew L. Bowen, originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 17, 2016, pages 1 through 12, read by Parker Jackson. This audio recording is copyrighted under a Creative Commons license and may be freely distributed if it remains unchanged. The journal and its website are credited and is for non-commercial use. A printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com. Abstract Wordplay and punning involving the names Philemon, affectionate one, and Onesimus, useful, and their meanings, with concomitant paranomasia, involving the name title Christos and various homonymic terms, constitutes a key element in Paul's polite, diplomatic, and carefully worded letter to Philemon, the Christian owner of a converted slave named Onesimus. Paul artfully uses Philemon's own name to play on the latter's affections, and to remind him that despite whatever Onesimus may owe, Ophele, Philemon, Philemon more than owes, Prosopheles, his very self, i.e., his life as a Christian and thus his eternal well-being, to Paul. Hence Philemon more than owes, Paul, his request to have Onesimus, who was once useless or unprofitable and without Christ, but is now profitable and well in Christ, as a fellow worker in the gospel. In a further polyptotonic play on Onesimus, Paul expresses his urgent desire to have the benefit, Onimon, of Onesimus in the Lord out of Philemon's own free will and with his blessing, since all three are now brothers in Christ and thus slaves to Christ, their true master. In the context of Paul's use of Krestos and Onimon, Paul's desire for Philemon's voluntary good deed or benefit, to agathon su, is to be understood as the granting of Onesimus and as the point and climax of this publicly read letter. As one of the shortest texts in the New Testament and the Bible as a whole, Paul's letter to Philemon is something of an enigma that has troubled exegetes for almost two millennia due to its deferential and circumspect diction. Paul wrote this brief letter to a Christian slaveholder, Philemon, who hosted a church congregation in his house at Colossae, and who was himself an associate of Paul's. Paul wrote this letter concerning Philemon's possibly escaped slave Onesimus, whom the apostle Paul had converted. John Paul Hale argues, on the basis of structure, that verse 14 is the key to the whole letter. But without thy mind would I do nothing, that thy benefit should not be, as it were, of necessity, but willingly. Or, but I prefer to do nothing without your consent, in order that your good deed, benefit, might be voluntary and not something forced. Hale further states that Paul's motive is that he wants Philemon to give his former slave Onesimus back to Paul as a beloved brother and fellow worker for the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of Philemon's faithful love 
for the saints as a beloved brother and fellow worker of Paul. In his attempt to persuade Philemon, Paul cleverly employs a nexus of onomastic puns involving the meanings and sounds of the names Philemon, Onesimus, and Christ. The genius of the Apostle's rhetorical approach is evident when each instance of wordplay is examined. In this short study, I will examine each instance of onomastic wordplay in the Greek text of the letter. The artful, circumspect rhetoric of Paul's letter can be more fully appreciated when this onomastic wordplay is recognized in its variety and its implications are understood. Paul's message to Philemon is simple and more direct than is sometimes assumed. Philemon, you more than owe me the benefit that I am requesting of you. Literacy, Orality, and the Memorability of Onomastic Puns Concerning orality and literacy in the world and milieu of the New Testament, James F. McGrath observes that, while it was not all at all a purely oral culture, the contexts of the New Testament authors were characterized by a high degree of residual orality. Literacy rates during that time varied from place to place, as they do today, but there was perhaps a wider range of degrees of literacy in the time period. For example, the literacy requirements of marketplace commerce differed from those of professional court scribes. Regarding Paul's letters in particular, McGrath further observes that we have good reason to believe that Paul's letters, as well as other early Christian literature, would have been heard read aloud by most who were exposed to them, rather than actually read with their own eyes. What needs to be remembered, he reiterates, is that very few early Christians would have read Paul's letters. Most who encountered the words Paul authored would have encountered them when they were read aloud. Given the limits of human memory, such communications needed to be memorable, hence the importance and usefulness of onomastic world play. Beyond their rhetorical potency, onomastic puns are, by nature, memorable. They, like scripture citations, can serve as hooks or pegs on which lengthier ideas and arguments can be hung. Paul's letter to Philemon is, by virtue of these onomastic puns, both rhetorically potent and memorable. Useful and well in Christ Addressing Philemon, Paul says of Onesimus, whose name means useful or profitable in Greek, Formerly he was useless, a kreston, to you, but now he is indeed useful, you kreston, both to you and to me. Or, in times past he was to thee unprofitable to thee, but now profitable to thee and to me. As has widely been noted, Paul here creates a play on the meaning of Onesimus' name, using an unrelated synonym and an antonym of Onesimus. Both of these forms of Christos are rare, occurring only here and occurring here and twice in Second Timothy. J. Albert Harrell believes that this wordplay is technical language pointing to a particular kind of document, the journeyman apprentice contract, 
such as those found among the Oxyrhynchus papyri in Roman Egypt. He further notes that the aim of such apprenticeships was the personal transformation of a slave or a child from useless to useful. While it is possible, as Harold notes, that Paul is petitioning for Philemon to let Onesimus be apprenticed to Paul in the service of the gospel, it is also possible that Paul is petitioning Philemon to let him be fully apprenticed to Christ as master, as I believe is further suggested by this wordplay. But Paul also deliberately plays on the name title Christ. The word Christos in the Greek of Paul's time also sounded almost exactly the same as Christos, Christ. Thus Paul is also referencing Onesimus's conversion to Christ. In times past he was without Christ, a Christon, to you, but now he is indeed well in Christ, you Christon, both to you and to me, a clever pun on Christos. This homophonic wordplay adds additional nuance to Paul's play on Onesimus. F. F. Bruce notes that in Gentile ears, Christ was simply an alternative name for Jesus. Christos sounded exactly like a fairly common slave name, Christos, Latin Christus. And among Greeks and Romans, there was considerable confusion between the two spellings, as also between Christianoi and Christianoi. The Latin suffix ianus, attached to the name Christ denoted adherent of. Thus, a Christian was an adherent of Christ, but an ordinary Greek or Roman might have heard Christianos and understood it to mean an adherent of a slave, Christos. As a Christian of the Roman Mediterranean world, Philemon would have been sensitive to the pejorative overtones of this terminology. Christ had, in fact, died the ignominious death of a slave, of whom Philemon professed to be an adherent, like Paul and now Onesimus. By calling Onesimus useful, Christon useful, Paul is placing Onesimus on the same level as himself and Philemon, within the sphere of their shared relationship to Christ. Christos or Christos. Paul is trading on the culturally charged moral values in Paul's fundamentally hierarchical ancient Mediterranean world. Paul refrains in his letter from calling Philemon Kyrios, Lord or Master, reserving that title for Christ alone. The implication for Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus is that they are all three douloi, slaves of Christ, who died as a slave on their behalf. This is also the force of Paul's addressing Philemon as Adelpha, brother, and urging, and urging him to accept Onesimus no longer as a slave, Dulon, but more than a slave, a brother beloved, Adelphon Agapeton, or as a servant, but above a servant, a brother beloved, they are to be equal in the Lord, i.e., in relationship to their common master, Kyrios. Outside of the fellowship of Christ, 
they are all ultimately useless or unprofitable. Grace and Partnership Paul's pun on the meaning of Onesimus, useful, and Creston, Acreston, Eucreston, has an additional dimension. Paul's description of Onesimus as Eucrestos has soteriological and Eucharistic overtones. In Paul's language, one can hear the echo of charis, grace. From Latin gratia, by way of Old French, is cognate with Greek charis. So too, apparently, Latin caritas, charity, which the Vulgate uses to render Greek agape, the early Christian term for the pure love of Christ. Onesimus is not without grace, a charis without grace, or graceless, a charistos, unthankful, ungrateful, and useless or unprofitable, a Christos, because he remains in the Lord, i.e. in Christ, and is a partaker or partner of Christ's love. Moreover, Paul's use of the word Eucrestos not only evokes the idea of useful and well in Christ, but echoes the verb to give thanks, as used previously in Philemon. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank Eucharisto, my God, or I thank my God, making mention of the always in my prayers. This verb is used elsewhere by Paul in reference to what came to the communal Christian meal. And when he had given thanks, Eucharistesas, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. On the basis of this passage and others, the nominal form of Eucharisteo, Eucharistia, of course, becomes the basis of the Eucharist as a technical term. Onesimus has become a partner with Paul and with his master Philemon in what Paul calls a koinonia, a fellowship, the sharing fellowship of your Philemon's faith, the communication of thy faith. If thou count me, therefore, a partner, koinonon, a sharer, a member of the fellowship, receive him as myself, i.e., the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Koinonia is a term Paul uses elsewhere with additional explicit Eucharistic overtones. All of this is framed by the grace, charis, that Paul, the prisoner of Christ, Jesus, wishes to all of his partners or fellows in the fellowship of their master Christ, 
the thanks, Eucharisto, Paul gives always for them the great joy, Karan, that Paul feels on account of Philemon's charity or love, as well as the grace, Charis, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Christu, that Paul wishes to be with Philemon and his fellow congregants. In other words, the Kara of Christ is their shared Charis, grace, and Christos, prophet usefulness, of which the erstwhile slave Onesimus now also partakes. Philemon the Affectionate From the beginning of the letter, Paul has been playing on both the affections of Philemon and the meaning of his name, Affectionate One, by addressing him as Dearly Beloved. Philemonai to agapeto. He has noted his love, agapen, for all the saints and faith toward the Lord Jesus, or love which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all his saints. Paul has further noted that they, Paul and the saints, had received much joy and encouragement from Philemon's love, agapen, or had great joy and consolation in Philemon's love, this because the bowels of the saints were refreshed in him. He has besought him for the love's sake, dia ten agape, that he would treat Onesimus, whom Paul calls his own bowels, as a brother beloved, Adelphon agapeton, and again urged him, Refresh my bowels in the Lord, or in Christ. The noun philia, from which the name Philemon derives, and the noun agape, both denote kinds of love, or affection, in Greek. The bowels, or viscera, were often considered the seat of love, or affection. By invoking the term agape, and philia, the latter present in the name Philemon, as a paranomasia on Philemon, Paul gently but firmly applies a pressure on Philemon as the affectionate one to live up the Christian ideals embodied in his name. A public failure or refusal to live up to these ideals by complying with Paul's wishes greatly risks lessening his standing in his church community. Your good deed, thy benefit. While perhaps opaque at a glance, the good deed or benefit, to agathon, to which Paul refers in Philemon 1.14, is clear when viewed as an extension of the punning on Onesimus and Christos in 1.10-11. According to Hale, verse 14 sits at the chiastic center of the structure of the letter. Both ballast and a confirmation that the good deed or benefit is Philemon's possibly permanent granting of Onesimus to Paul as a fellow worker and ministrant are achieved with Paul's subsequent use of the verb onaimen, let me have the benefit of or from, in verse 20. However, it is between his mention of the good deed, benefit, to agathon, and having benefit, onaimen, 
that Paul employs one of his strongest rhetorical punches. Instead of returning immediately to playing on Philemon's affections, he invokes commercial terminology punctuated by his use of verbs that sound like Philemon's own name. You more than owe me one. Onesimus. As if to further suggest their equality before the Lord in the Gospel, Paul declares that if Onesimus owes, ophele, Philemon anything, that, that it should charged to his, Paul's, account, but then immediately reminds Philemon that he more than owes, prosopheles, Paul, his very self. This constitutes a paranomasia, that is, a play on the similar sounds in Philemon. The word play suggests a triangular relationship between Philemon, Onesimus, the one who owes Philemon, and Paul, the one covering Onesimus' debt, and the one to whom Philemon owes more than everything under Christ. The one to whom they all owe themselves. Here, too, the rhetorical effect is to place Onesimus on a more even footing with Paul and Philemon. Their interrelationship is to be horizontal rather than hierarchical or vertical. There may be a further dimension to Paul's wordplay on Ophelio or Prosopheleo and Philemon here. The homonymous Greek verb Ophelio the pronunciation of which would have differed from the former primarily in vowel quantity, means to assist, benefit, be advantageous, profit. In other words, it was once a homonym of ophileo or prosopheleo, and a synonym of Christos, Onesimus, and Onimen. Thus, Paul's wordplay on Philemon and implicitly identifies Philemon's name more closely with that of Onesimus, his slave. Let me have benefit, or joy, in the Lord. The final two onomastic wordplays occur when Paul pleads with Philemon, Let me have joy, onaimen, literally, let me have profit or benefit, in the Lord. Refresh my bowels in the Lord. The use of onenemi represents a careful and climactic word choice by Paul, forming a polyptoton, this time on the name Onesimus, which is cognate with this verb. Here, Paul makes Onesimus a symbol of the profit or benefits that he has gained in the Lord through preaching the gospel and of his hopes to further acquire through Philemon's benefit or good. If not clear previously, it is now evident that Onesimus, useful or beneficial, is the benefit or good thing, to agathon, that Paul wishes from Philemon, so that he, Paul, might have benefit, onaimen, in the true master, in Kyrio, the Lord Jesus Christ. The polyptotonic wordplay on Onesimus and Onaimen is unavoidable to the hearer. The pressure to do the good thing or right thing 
is now practically irresistible. If Philemon still has any further reticence about granting Paul's request, the latter now makes one more appeal to Philemon's affections. An Affectionate Reprise On top of all of this, Paul makes a final allusion to Philemon as affectionate one when he says, Refresh my heart, literally bowels, in Christ. Or, some of the other manuscripts have it, in the Lord Master. Again, the bowels or viscera were the seat of affections in ancient Israelite thought. Paul's reprise of this phrase, used previously in Philemon 1.7, in reference to Philemon as the affectionate one, by whose love or affection the heart's bowels of the saints have been refreshed. This constitutes a final wordplay on Philemon as a part of Paul's final appeal to Philemon to grant Onesimus and to do even more than I say. As McGrath has noted, material closer to the end of a Pauline letter could have had a potentially overpowering influence on the understanding of the letter that hearers took away with them. The onomastic puns in Philemon 1, 17-20 on Onesimus and Philemon's names should be read with this in mind. Conclusion As noted at the outset, Philemon hosted a congregation of the nascent Christian community, a house church at his own house. The letter that bears his name would have been read in a meeting of the local church community, presumably by one of the local church officials. Philemon, no doubt, would have been present, and all eyes would have been on him, as it were, as it was given a public reading. The social pressure for him to do the right thing, the good thing, to agathon, would have been practically impossible to resist. Paul's letter to Philemon and its rhetoric, including the interwoven plays and puns on Onesimus, Philemon, and Christ, constitute a miniature masterpiece and a fine example of how thematically central and richly textured onomastic wordplay in ancient texts and literature can be. In a world without telephone, text message, Twitter, television, radio, or internet, communications had to be composed for maximum effect on first hearing or reading, with virtually every syllable contributing to the rhetorical and mnemonic impact of the whole. Paul's letter to Philemon constitutes just such a communication. Matthew L. Bowen was raised in Orem, Utah, and graduated from Brigham Young University. He holds a Ph.D. in Biblical Studies from the Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and is currently an assistant professor in religious education at Brigham Young University, Hawaii. He and his wife, the former Suzanne Blattberg, are the parents of three children, Zachariah, Nathan, and Adele. This has been a recording of You More Than Owe Me This Benefit, onomastic rhetoric in Philemon, by Matthew L. Bowen. Originally published in Interpreter, a Journal of Mormon Scripture, Volume 17, 2016, pages 1 through 12, read by Parker Jackson. 
a printed version of this and many other articles and resources on Mormon scripture can be found at mormoninterpreter.com.